I guess before I came to live in Australia, I always had this sense that, and I've said it a lot of times, that whilst Pacific Island people have a very strong general working knowledge of Australia, the reverse is far from true. And that's certainly been confirmed to me whilst I've lived here in Australia. What I have, what I have learned is that a lot of Australians are very interested in what goes on in the Pacific. And it is something that, you know, they, they recognise that there are these gaps in their knowledge and they want those gaps filled. But when they look to the curriculum in the schools or what they're getting on mainstream media, they realise that they're not actually being given an awful lot of knowledge about what's happening in the region. So how can that be reversed or tackled? I think it's really, you know, there's a there's a need for a, a change in mindset. And I think, you know, I think there are a number of areas. I don't focus very much on what goes on in the education sphere. There are other people like Katerina Teowia who's much more focused on that. But I guess I've focused much more on what happens in the mainstream media. And, you know, the, there's this sort of chicken and egg situation that people like Sean Dorney have talked about before that, the journalists that know the region, him, Jemima Garrett when she was at ABC, Stefan Armbruster at SBS, you know, these people that really do know the region, they know the stories are there, they know that there's really important stuff to tell Australians about what's happening in these countries that are closest to them. But when it gets to the next level, whether it's editorial or managerial, there's they don't they find it hard to get get those stories across the line. They find it hard to get financial support or editorial support so there really needs to be I think there needs to be a push from the consumers of media that they need to say we want more of this we want more and we want better I think what we've seen in the last year or so is an increase in the amount of coverage that the Pacific is getting but we haven't really seen that matched by an increase in quality so we see a lot of quite um, shallow debates Often things are pitched or, or um, framed very much in binary terms, you know, the what about China question. And whilst the concerns around the rising influence of China have certainly prompted more attention, what we need to see from Australia across all of these things is a commitment to relationships because they're important, not because they're frightened of China or they want to tell people in the Pacific, well, be friends with us, not with them, but because they recognise that the relationships with Pacific Island countries are ones that are very, very complex and very nuanced. They span history, they span trade, they span people-to-people links, there are security aspects. And all of these things need to be um, interrogated and explained and and valued um, with as much nuance and detail as possible. Do you think that it also comes down to that perhaps within Australia and mainstream media there's a lack of understanding exactly who makes up Australia? You know, there's a really significant Pacific Island population here, a lot of people who may be born in New Zealand are of Pacific Island descent. I think that's definitely the case. I think that the Pacific diasporas of communities are underserved by the main, by mainstream media. Um, they're underserved in terms of the stories they see about themselves or hear about themselves, and they're certainly underserved in terms of what they hear about what's going on in their home countries or in the countries with which they are associated through their heritage. And I definitely think that that's something that the mainstream media needs to address. But by the same token, it's something that needs to be addressed politically as well. And, you know, I've had it said to me by 
you know, a relatively influential member of this current government at federal level that, you know, basically tests they need to get bigger, it needs to be a bigger population and it needs to be better organised so that it can influence voting behaviour. And until that happens, there's no incentive politically for people to invest in that community. But I think in terms of how that community contributes to Australian society more generally, there's already an awful lot of intersections and interweaving, and that needs to be something that's expressed a lot in a, in a much more sophisticated way than is currently the case. And I would also say, Inga, that there are other aspects of this. So there's the South Sea Islander community, um, which I know is very active in this part of Queensland and in other parts of Australia. You know, that's another part of the wider Australian population that doesn't get very much coverage that there's still little understanding of you know it's there are still plenty of Australians that don't even know who these people are and and how they describe themselves and which Pacific Island countries they're associated with which give leaving aside the disruptions of COVID there are increasing numbers of Pacific Island people coming to work in Australia and so in order for Australians to be able to work alongside people to socialize with them to share spaces with them they need to know more about who these people are and where they come from and what they care about. Which is what I was going to ask you. If you are someone who's got no connection to the Pacific, why should you care? Well, you should care because this is where you live. You don't live in Northern America or Western Europe. You live in the Pacific, especially here in Queensland. This is a Pacific state. Um, Brisbane and Queensland has the strongest connections into the region. There are parts of Queensland, you know, there are industries in Queensland that were built on the back of Pacific Labour um, years ago. And those connections still run very deep. You know, there are people whose parents worked in Papua New Guinea, whose grandparents may have fought the war in Papua New Guinea or, or, and in other parts of the Pacific. Pacific Islanders come here to study. Australians go to the Pacific to work and on holidays. So these connections exist. Um, it's just that they don't seem to be... that the the. the the um, the total isn't more than the sum of the parts. We've yet to see them being properly aggregated and capitalised on into something that really makes Australia or, or gives Australia its rightful place as a member of the Pacific family. So what could you see happen if Australia and Australians embraced the fact of being part of the Pacific and strengthened those relationships? Well, I think it would strengthen Australia's position as a global citizen. I think one of when, when Australia, as a middle power, positions itself or projects itself on the international stage, it needs to have, it needs to have a card to play. It needs to bring a value proposition. And what it's expected to bring, particularly in relation to security and strategic policy, what it's expected to bring is a really good knowledge and a good set of relationships and a good modus operandi in its part of the world. And because its relationships with the Pacific have been neglected and because the tone of them isn't necessarily very conducive to them being strong all the time, Australia is unable to do that. So it's unable to offer that to the global stage as well we can we can help you learn, we can introduce you to our friends in the pacific we can help you know more about this region so i think that's one aspect but i think more fundamentally than that um it's very easy it's too easy for australia to see the pacific or pacific island countries or pacific island people 
as always in need of, of, the, of it being an area, a part of the world that's characterised by deficit. And I think that that's wrong. And I think that the Pacific and Pacific people have an awful lot to give to Australia. They have an awful lot to teach Australians about um, resilience and working in community. Um, we saw earlier in the year when Australia was suffering with those bushfires, you know, we saw people in villages in Pacific Island countries doing wheelbarrow pushes to collect $5,000 to send to communities in Australia because, that, you know, these are our fam this is our family, they're in need, they were there to help us, now it's our turn to help them. Fiji sent soldiers, as did PNG. And I think in Australia that was seen as something quite surprising and a bit shocking and almost a bit embarrassing, but that is... That is part of Pacific culture, is that when hardship or difficulty befalls one part of your community, the rest of the community rallies around and, and offers support and help in whatever way it can. And I think that um, the Pacific Island people and Pacific communities have a lot to share. When you look at areas like the arts and culture, whether it's um, cultural expression, I should say, whether it's weaving or painting or dance or music... Pacific Island people, when they come into those spaces, they don't come to learn, they come to teach. They come to guide and to mentor because they are, they are elders, they are practitioners, they are leaders in these fields. And, and that's one area where I think um, we can see that people come together in a very sort of level, almost a democratic way, that everybody comes with something to share something to give and something to learn, you know, whether it's a weaving circle or a, uh, a festival of dance or whatever it is. And, and we're increasingly seeing Pacific Island people move into other art forms, whether it's movie making or podcasting or all of these things. And I think that that's something that um, should really be explored more because that really is a, a fabulous way for Australians to see Pacific Island leaders as professionals and practitioners and leaders and not, as always, people that need to be given something because they, they're missing out. Tess, you're here in central Queensland. Um, you spent the last week here. What brought you up here and, and what are your reflections? Well, I came for a bit of a rest so that I could try and switch off my brain and I came to visit my friend Mel, who works here with you at the ABC, so it's been great to see her and to meet some of her colleagues. It's just been nice to see a different part of Queensland. I'm, you know, I'm new to Australia, so usually my travelling involves going to the Pacific, so I can't do that at the moment. So it was nice to be here where it was a bit warmer. Um, you know, I can sense, you know, the vegetation reminds me a lot of being in Vanuatu. You know, it's been interesting to see. We were just looking at the architecture and think about the history that's gone into that and, and where that, where that history's come from and how different, different parts of the community interact. Um, whilst I've been here, there's been this announcement made of seasonal workers coming from Vanuatu that will go to the Northern Territory. And I think we're going to see more of that. You know, this, this will be the first part of the bubble, will be movement of labour. And I know that this part of Queensland is very much involved in those labour schemes. So I think, you know, I think that um, as those labour programmes mature and develop that they, you know, it will be interesting to see how that movement, that circular movement of Pacific Island people, how that adds to the Pacific flavour of this part of the state. 